Blog Talk Radio. everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday and it is July 13th. Goodness gracious, Friday the 13th. I hope you've all had a great day and a great week and I thank you for joining me at the end of the week to play that inevitable game of catch-up. So it's great to be here. Uh, For those of you who are familiar with me, you know that I'm a retired senior special agent with what used to be the Immigration and Naturalization (laughs) Service, the INS, an agency that was swallowed whole, sliced, diced, and spit out uh, as one of the component agencies of what came to be known as the Department of Homeland Security. I came to call it the Department of Homeland Surrender. And boy, oh boy, what a controversy. Imagine having a sovereign country with secure borders Uh, You would think it's common sense, even without the attacks of 9-11, even without the issues of transnational gangs and narcotics pouring across our borders, uh, just on the basis of a need to protect jobs for American workers and make certain that people who enter our country do not pose a threat to our safety or well-being. This has nothing to do with xenophobia, the war cry of the open borders, immigration anarchists, It's all about common sense. So ever since 9-11, again, if you're familiar with me, you know I've been a man on a mission trying to explain immigration, not based on fantasy, not based on fabrication, not based on lies by the exploiters of a very dysfunctional immigration system that I refer to as an example of failure by design. But having spent 30 years performing so many of the tasks that go with enforcing and administering our immigration laws. If you're new to the program, I'll just give you a very quick CV, curricula vitae, my bio, if you will. I began my career in 1971 as an immigration inspector assigned to John F. Kennedy International Airport when I assisted the law firm that was retained by Jan Brewer during the Obama administration, if you recall, SB 1070 was state law that Arizona passed that paralleled federal immigration law, and were promptly, they were promptly sued by the Obama Justice Department. I provided an extensive declaration to the law firm retained by the governor to defend her and her states against that outrageous lawsuit. And so I described the first four years of my career in my declaration as the time that I had my eye to the peephole on America's front door. Following that, I became, well, actually during the four years, I was assigned for one year as an adjudications officer doing the marriage interviews that you've seen in the movies. Not humorous, by the way. That's an element of national security. The 9-11 Commission was very clear about it, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, And then I became a special agent. Back then we were called criminal investigators. I rotated through every squad within the investigations branch in New York. My very first fraud investigation, which was supposed to be a nothing routine, nothing to see here kind of case, uh, led me to uncover a terror plot in Israel. We prevented the bombing of an oil refinery. Uh, Immigration is an important issue. It's not insignificant, not just for America, but for countries around the world. I arrested people working illegally in factories and farms and sweatshops. I spent half my career with the drug task force. Uh, First, I did a four-year stint as the first INS, Immigration and Naturalization Service, agent assigned to the Unified Intelligence Division of DEA, the Drug Enforcement Administration, Pardon me, and then I was promoted to senior special agent and assigned to the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force. So I had desks at the FBI, DEA, ATF. I worked with foreign governments ranging from the Israeli National Police to the Royal Canadian Mounted Police to British Customs and New Scotland Yard and even got an award from the Japanese National Police. So I've really seen immigration from a global perspective. I've been before 17 congressional hearings. I provided testimony to the 9-11 Commission. 
And yet the Anti-Defamation League, and this really frosts my tail, has an article up where they describe me as being anti-immigrant. You should know I was a B'nai B'rith president of a chapter of uh, B'nai B'rith back when I was in high school and college. I've always been a strong proponent for a legal immigration system that provides America with wonderful people from all over the world, but at the same time protects America from those who would come here because they mean us harm or they would take the jobs that Americans very much need. That's what my job was. That's what my perspective is based on. And there are so many fantasies out there, so many lies, but those lies are being told by people who have gains to be acquired, uh, exploiting cheap labor, wanting an immigration system with massive amnesty programs that really turns into a welfare program for immigration lawyers, And we even have immigration lawyers in lofty positions within the House of Representatives and the Senate. Uh, We have um, both sides of the aisle. We have immigration lawyers. And so understand that massive amnesty programs put lawyers to work. The visa requirements put lawyers to work. There was a video that was up on the Internet. I should probably incorporate it in in an article soon where – An attorney went to a meeting but kept his intentions to himself or herself. I'm not sure if it was a man or woman. He was with the computer guild because computer programmers were finding themselves losing their jobs in increasing numbers to foreign workers. And what they saw was videotaped. You had lawyers on stage advising the attorneys in the audience to make certain that when a job was being posted, which has to be done to comply with labor requirements and so forth to show that there's no American workers immediately able, willing, and available to do the jobs, that the lawyers find a way to disqualify the Americans, they can get their legal fees. It's the shafting of hardworking, dedicated, talented, experienced Americans so that lawyers can do what they do best, shaft their adversaries, In their case, the adversary were hardworking American programmers. My first wife, may she rest in peace, was a talented computer programmer, had her MBA in computer science. Back then, many of our friends had similar academic backgrounds, members of National Math Honor Society and so forth. Their careers were destroyed by the importation of hundreds of thousands of foreign computer programmers. And the only thing exceptional about these so-called exceptional employees was their eagerness and willingness to work for exceptionally low wages under exceptionally adverse conditions, not unlike the way that illegal aliens are exploited and treated like trash at the very bottom of the economic ladder. Same difference, except this is part of the legal system, and it's a part of the legal system that the attorneys in Congress want to expand because it makes work for them and their colleagues. This is why the Goodlatte Bill had it passed, would have, believe it or not, solved the immigration crisis in America because it would have included an additional 55,000 annual visas for high-tech workers, would have given high-tech workers here on non-immigrant visas permanent resident status. I want to know how that helps America or Americans. But the problem is, Mr. Goodlap, is an immigration lawyer. He's leaving Congress soon. I don't know what his plans are, but I wouldn't be shocked to find out if Mr. Goodlatte, when he leaves Congress, come the next session, will practice immigration law. This is the problem we have in America today, but it's not just Bob Goodlatte. Zoe Lofgren, who was the uh, ranking member of the House Immigration Subcommittee, I'm not certain if she ever became the chairperson, but the ranking member is the second highest position because If that party were in power, then presumably the ranking member becomes the chair. So number one Democrat in the House Immigration Subcommittee, immigration lawyer. No shock, but I do see a conflict of interest. I see lots of conflicts of interest in Washington. Uh, They call it a swamp. I call it a cesspool because swamps are man-made. I'm sorry, swamps are made by nature. Cesspools are man-made. We have people who, once they understand that they can take advantage of the system for their own personal gain, have no problem doing it. Both sides of the aisle. It's a terrible place 
um, and the impact on America is devastating. You would have thought after the terror attacks of 9-11, and the 9-11 Commission was so crystal clear on just how significant failures of the immigration system were, that the nonsense would have ended. And so I write article after article. I appear on as many television and radio programs as possible, including my own program. This is a nonprofit operation. I don't get paid to do this. I do this because on 9-11, those ashes from the conflagration at Ground Zero landed on my home. My neighbors died. And I had been before Congress four and a half years earlier to testify before the House Immigration Subcommittee on the issue of visa fraud and immigration benefit fraud because of two terror attacks carried out in the United States in 1993. First, the CIA was shot up by an individual from Pakistan by the name of Amil Kansi. Uh, he had actually applied for political asylum. He bought into a courier service, so he had a courier van that had a pass that got him into the parking lot at CIA headquarters in Virginia. And one cold morning in January 93, he showed up with that van and an unusual package, a fully loaded AK-47. He opened fire, killed two CIA officers, wounded three others, and did what foreign nationals who commit crime or terror attacks in America can do, avail himself of the escape hatch of leaving America. <clears throat> Usually that gets them out of Dodge, gets them out of the long arm of the law. Given the nature of his crime, Kansi did not escape uh, detection or punishment. He was dragged back here, put on trial, found guilty, and executed, but it didn't bring the dead back to life, nor did it heal the wounds of those he had injured. One month later, we had the first bombing at the World Trade Center. Again, individuals from the Middle East gamed the immigration system, claimed political asylum, got amnesty. For example, Mahmoud Abu Alima, <clears throat> agricultural amnesty. He claimed that he'd worked on a farm in Florida picking beans when in reality the closest he ever came to planting anything was a bomb in the garage of the World Trade Center. February the 26th, I believe the date was, um, 1993, killed six people, injured over a 1,000 people, inflicted about a half billion dollars in damages, and damn near knocked the tower down sideways. Could you imagine what the casualty count would have been if the tower had come down sideways, 110 stories tall, a vertical city, a vertical city more than 1,400 feet into the sky. It came down. It didn't come down, nearly did. Engineers had said that had the truck been placed on the other side of the garage or if they had filled the truck to the top with explosives because it wasn't filled to the top, um, there was more than a 50-50 chance that that tower would have collided with the other tower. It would have ruptured the seawall, flooding all of lower Manhattan. I don't even want to imagine the casualty counts. And the Clinton administration did less than nothing. They implemented a program known as Citizenship USA around 1996, where they ran 1.1 million applications for U.S. citizenship through the system so quickly that many of the applications were approved even before fingerprint checks came back. The law says you're supposed to do good borrow character investigations, and the Clinton administration led, and I use this term very loosely, by Doris Meisner, who thought her job as commissioner of the Immigration Service was to naturalize essentially the world. Uh, that's what we did after those attacks, which, of course, left the door wide open figuratively and literally to 9-11. The Bush administration was no better. In creating ICE, the agency that's under such fire right now, the Bush administration, rather than emphasizing immigration enforcement, did everything in its power to destroy immigration enforcement. You see, the difference between these Democrats, some of them, the loons that are jumping up and down yelling abolish ICE, I, I got to give them credit because they're telling you what they want. George Bush, I believe, wanted the same thing but didn't have the balls to do it. So he crippled immigration enforcement to the best of his ineptability. How did he do it? Well, you know, I had spoken with members of Congress because I had been before Congress four and a half years earlier. I recommended the creation of an agency that I refer to as BIE, the Bureau of Immigration Enforcement, because those three letters would have sent a clear and unequivocal message, not just to the American people, but to the employees 
at the Bureau of Immigration Enforcement that your job is to enforce the immigration law. And before you think I'm being xenophobic, understand this. First generation American. I'm a New Yorker. I'm retired. I could move anywhere. I live in New York because I love New York. I love its diversity. I'm Jewish. I'm part of America's smallest, one of America's smallest minorities. There's nothing xenophobic about our laws. If you go to Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182, those are the grounds for excluding an alien from the United States. And it begins with aliens with dangerous communicable diseases or aliens who suffer extreme mental illness. Why is that at the top of the list? Well, let's remember that Ellis Island was a quarantine station. And in point of fact, I just wrote an article for Front Page Magazine. I hope after my show is over, you'll go check it out if you haven't already. I provided the link um, on my description of my program. But the name of my article for Front Page is The Left's Immigration Con Game, Breaking Through the Lies About Ellis Island and More. And what prompted me to write the article was a documentary that was just on TV, on public television. And it was called Forgotten Ellis Island. And it gave details about Ellis Island that I didn't even know. For example, and I bet you didn't know this, Ellis Island was built on an artificial island largely constructed on the debris and the rocks that were pulled out of the ground when the New York City transit system was built, the subway system was built. They purposely built Ellis Island on an island so that aliens seeking to enter the United States could not abscond. We did not have catch and release. You came to Ellis Island on a boat from whatever country you came from, mostly from Europe, here on the East Coast, and doctors looked you over with a fine-tooth comb. Of course, medicine back then was primitive, um, was nothing like today. No antibiotics, no CAT scans, no MRIs, no nothing. So the big concern about health was, was twofold, and I didn't even realize the second reason. First reason, great fear about epidemics. Without antibiotics and modern technique, uh, epidemics could travel through a community like wildfire and leave in its wake death and destruction and suffering. So the big concern was aliens coming in with diseases. But the second concern was that the authorities wanted to make certain that immigrants who came to America were physically and mentally fit to work and to take care of themselves, support themselves. You don't hear that today. Oh, I wish they had hell asylum. They took it away. Folks, if they reopened Ellis Island, the ACLU would be jumping up and down, launching lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit, along with the other open borders anarchists. They really don't want Ellis Island to be open, but it's part of the mantra, we used to welcome people into America. Not so much, folks. Thousands of people died at Ellis Island. Children were immediately taken from their parents. And when you walk into the Grand Hall, you had to climb this major staircase. Why? They wanted to see if you couldn't walk up the stairs without being out of breath, because if you couldn't do it, then maybe you just weren't physically fit enough to work. You were going home. And it didn't matter if you had a wife and six kids. You had a choice. You were going to go home, or one of your kids was going to go home, whoever was found unfit or mentally incapable or whatever. They did not care about splitting up families. You don't want to split up a family. Easy solution. They were compassionate. The whole family goes back on the boat. If you want to stay and your spouse is ill and you're going to stay no matter what, well, you better get yourself a divorce because you're not coming in together. There was no such thing as here's a note, show up at a hearing. You either were put on the ferry and allowed to come to America or you were put back on your boat and sent home and discrimination was rampant. Eastern Europeans, Jews, Italians, uh, others were told, no, we don't really like you. Go home. It was terrible. If that's how immigration was practiced when I worked for the INS, I wouldn't have lasted 30 minutes, let alone 30 years. Our laws today have absolutely nothing to do with race, religion, or ethnicity. It's about aliens with dangerous diseases, mental illness, criminals, spies, terrorists, human rights violators, war criminals, fugitives from justice, aliens who were previously deported, and then we get to aliens who would likely become a public charge, or aliens who were coming with non-immigrant temporary visas who were likely to work, and if they did work, would likely displace Americans and or drive down wages of people holding similar jobs in the United States. Those are the grounds for exclusion. Look it up. 
Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182. Very simple section of law. There's nothing unfair about it. And we hear this thing, there's a deportation force. They're getting rid of all the immigrants. Immigrants have nothing to fear. If you're a lawful immigrant and you abide by the law and you've committed no crimes, immigration authorities gave you that status. They're not the threat. They're your best friend. Again, the lies are incredible. And this goes back to Jimmy Carter starting this nonsense. Oh, we're going to call everybody immigrants even if they're illegal aliens. The term alien simply means any person, not a citizen or national of the United States. No insult there, but there is clarity. But when you're a swindling con con artist, you play with the words to obfuscate the truth. You know, congratulations, you've just won a $5 million lottery. Just mail us a check for $10,000 and give us your name the name of your mother, your first pet and your mother's maiden name and your social security number and on and on and on, and then it's a scam. Carter pulled no less a scam on America than did uh, George W. Bush by creating the Department of Homeland Surrender, taking immigration, folding it into customs, folding it into agriculture. I testified at a hearing where John Hostetler made the point that because of the way the President Bush and his administration put DHS together. It was supposed to, under the Homeland Security Act, the act that enabled the creation of the Department of Homeland Security, was supposed to emphasize border security and immigration law enforcement because of the findings of the 9-11 Commission. Instead, it did quite the opposite. It cut immigration into multiple pieces. Customs and Border Protection included immigration inspectors and the Border Patrol, ICE became interior enforcement, but the C in ICE is customs. What in the world does customs have to do with immigration? Customs, when I was an INS agent, we had the customs service, and they were more closely aligned to what the Commerce Department and what the IRS did. They imposed tariffs. They imposed fines. If you tried to bring something in that shouldn't be, they were concerned with the movement of materials, products, and money. Immigration, and that's why they were under the Treasury Department, by the way. Immigration was under the Justice Department because the work that we did was more similar to what they did at the FBI, and and then we mix in labor because they had a certified jobs and weren't going to be taken by aliens seeking to work in the United States. But primarily, immigration was very similar to the FBI, so both were under the Justice Department, the same way that the DEA is, the same way that the U.S. Marshal Service was. So you took a customs agency, which was a revenue agency, and you blended it with immigration. They have nothing to do with one another. And most of the people, not all, but most of the people put in leadership positions that ICE came from U.S. Customs. Thank you, Mr. Bush. And so they cut the agency into little dysfunctional pieces, and they made certain that immigration law enforcement got the short stick. And in point of fact, John Hostetler, in referring to the creation of ICE, said that it wound up creating enforcement incoherence, that instead of making it easier to secure the borders and enforce our laws, it became almost impossible to carry out those missions, and then they never hired enough agents to do the job. This is failure by design. And Ronald Reagan gave us the first amnesty. And I know there are some of my friends on the conservative side who will say, oh, he regretted it. I'm not so sure he did. I've yet to see it in writing. He also ended basically interior enforcement. We all thought that Ronald Reagan was going to come to town, that we were going to hire lots more immigration agents. And my boss went to a meeting, and he came back looking crestfallen. One of the guys remarked that he looked like he'd been to a wake. And we said, hey, what in the world happened? He said, well, we just went to a meeting at the front office, and we just got the word the administration is not hiring any more immigration agents. If the Border Patrol can't stop them, we're not going to bother. So that meant people that were working illegally had nothing to fear. We didn't have enough agents to go after the criminals and so forth, the gangs. It didn't matter because everything was going to be done at the border. The only problem is, There's much more to our borders than the Mexican border. That's another one of the lies, another one of the fabrications, another one of the fairy tales. We are a nation of 50 border states. We have a northern border. We have a southern border that we hear so much about. We have 95,000 miles of coastline, 
and we have international airports in virtually every state, generally multiple international airports in every state. Most of the terrorists, in fact, came into the United States not by running the border, but through international airports. Um, let me just read this to you. This comes from the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel. And again, I remind you, I provided testimony to the commission. So it starts out, not starts out, but here's a sentence. Exploring the link between human smugglers and terrorists. In July 2001, the CIA warned of a possible link between human smugglers and terrorist groups, including Hamas, Hezbollah, and the Egyptian Islamic Jihad. Indeed, there's evidence to suggest that since 1999, human smugglers have facilitated the travel of terrorists associated with more than a dozen extremist groups. With their global reach and connections to fraudulent document vendors and corrupt government officials, human smugglers clearly have the credentials necessary to aid terrorist travel. It's interesting they called it human smugglers because we were moving away from the word alien. I was part of the alien smuggling or the anti-smuggling group in New York City. So the idea that we're going to call people human traffickers, and I've written about this, there's a world of difference between human traffickers and alien smugglers, or at least the people that are involved being moved around the world. <clears throat> if a young girl is enticed into coming to America, being told she can get a job as a babysitter or maybe teaching kindergarten children, whatever, and she comes to America with a group and they suddenly abduct her and they take her passport and they force her to work in a brothel or a strip club, and we've seen this happen. Eastern Europeans are very good at that particular tactic. That young woman is absolutely a victim of human trafficking. She maybe shouldn't have been coming here to work, but she thought she was going to be doing one thing, and she, at gunpoint and with beatings and threats and so forth, forced to become a prostitute or a stripper or whatever. Folks, she's a victim. And the animals that do it to her should hang from a tree if I had my way. But when someone goes to a smuggler and says, here's $5,000, get me to New York, that individual is not a victim of human trafficking. That individual is a co-conspirator because he's paying someone to help him violate our sovereign borders. But you're not going to see that in the media. And when we saw the separation of people on the border, this woman gave this tear-jerking account to some woman who wrote the article, I was running from MS-13, and I turned myself over to the Border Patrol, and they put us in jail. What did you want us to do, lady? Put you up at the Waldorf? We have an accepted method of entering the United States. Entering a country enables terrorists and criminals to do bad things, and we don't know who you are. If she was undocumented, that means there's no way to determine her true identity or know who she's, who she's affiliated with or, or anything else. In fact, the 9-11 Commission staff report that I just quoted starts out with this preface. It is perhaps obvious to state that terrorists cannot plan and carry out attacks in the United States if they're unable to enter the country. You would think so, right, folks? Yet prior to September 11, while there were efforts to enhance border security, no agency of the U.S. government thought of border security as a tool in the counterterrorism arsenal. As an aside, if you are a manager of an agency like that and you don't understand that problem, you need to be fired. You need to find a new job. Maybe you should be working at a car wash. How in the world do you not understand that a country's security begins and ends at its borders up close and in person? You know, our military, all five branches have a common mission. It's to keep the enemies of America as far from our shores as possible. But today, terrorists aren't coming on U-boats the way the Nazi bums did, the saboteurs. Terrorists are coming on airliners. That puts them directly in the domain of immigration enforcement and border security. So if you can't figure that out, you know, you must have a flatline EEG. Your brain's dead. But let me just finish reading this. No agency of the U.S. government thought of border security as a tool in the counterterrorism arsenal. Indeed, even after 19 hijackers demonstrated the relative ease of obtaining a U.S. visa and gaining admission into the United States, border security still is not considered a cornerstone of national security policy. We believe, for reasons we discussed in the following pages, that it must be made one. 
So you've got <clears throat> the Republicans and the Democrats in agreement. Let's ignore immigration law enforcement. Never mind that we're spending billions and billions of dollars on airport security and we're x-raying people. God knows what health issues they may develop years later. Strip searching three-year-old girls running back for another hug from grandmas. She just went through the radar machine, the, the um, um, x-ray machine. There was just an account a week or two ago about a 93-year-old woman in a wheelchair who got strip searched. 93 years old. Maybe she was planning to kick in the cockpit door and overpower the flight crew. Goodness gracious. Oh, we got to be careful. Just don't screw with commerce. Don't screw with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce or the immigration lawyers or the bankers or the Discover America Partnership, the unholy alliance created by the Chamber of Commerce with various corporations, particularly in the um, uh, tourist and uh, travel industries. That's the reason why on 9-11 we had 26 visa waiver countries. After 9-11, we should have had zero. We're up to 38. Because if you go to the Chamber of Commerce and the Discover America Partnership, where they've partnered with the hotel, hospitality, and travel industries, their goal, folks, is eliminate the borders. They want every seat on every airplane filled. They want every bed in every hotel filled. They want every seat at every baseball park filled. That's what they want. And if people die along the way, what the hell? I mean, look, the funeral home industry is business. So what the hell? We'll throw them a couple of dead bodies. They can use the business, can't they? We are more concerned about collateral damage in combat zones, and that's why we have smart weaponry and our pilots are exquisitely trained so that we don't do carpet bombing of density populated areas, highly density populated areas, but we do surgical strikes to minimize as much as humanly possible what's known as collateral damage. But in America's towns and cities, collateral damage, not a big deal. We've got millions of Americans, so what if we lose a few? That is the cavalier attitude of members of Congress, of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, and of the globalists, because they just want cheap labor. They want to be able to move people around the world like chess pieces. It's a race to the bottom, and they have fired the starter's pistol, and politicians taking the campaign contributions and doing their bidding. If we took to heart the words of the 9-11 Commission, we would have at least as many ICE agents, immigration agents, and it wouldn't be ICE, it would be BIE. It would be BIE, Bureau of Immigration Enforcement. And we'd have at least as many of them as we have police officers from New York City. New York City, geographically, is a tiny town. It's a compact town. It's the biggest city in America, but it's a vertical city. Area-wise, it's small, and we have 37,000 police officers from New York City. We used to have over 40,000, and everyone was wringing their hands. Oh, my God, we've cut the numbers down. We only have 37,000. We have about 6,000 ICE agents, give or take, and half of them aren't even doing immigration work. Imagine if New York had 3,000 cops, what that would look like. But you see, that's what the Democratic Party wants. Because if people die, it's not a big deal. It'll just give them more justification to say, let's get the guns off the street. Never mind that it doesn't make guns disappear. I'll tell you what, I'll let you in on a secret. If you could pass a law that would make illegal guns evaporate, I will stand shoulder to shoulder with everyone who's demanding that we take away our guns. Let's do it. If all guns could be made to vanish with the stroke of a pen, sign me up. But it's not possible. Human laws require enforcement, and it's far from perfect. God's laws, the laws of nature, are immutable, not our laws. Firearms are essential not only for public safety, protect people, but to protect us against tyranny. Uh, Madison, my, my youngest son, loves quoting Madison. James Madison said that if men were angels, we wouldn't need government. If you call that flotsam and jetsam that occupies Washington and state capitals and city halls around the United States, if you think that they resemble angels, get some psychological counseling quickly. Tonight. Don't even wait for sunrise. So firearms are essential, but understand what happens. Someone commits a murder, it's done with a gun, and the anti-gun crowd comes out. 
see that? If he didn't have a gun, yes, if he didn't have a gun, he would have used a hatchet. He would have hit somebody over the head with a skillet. Maybe he would have poured gasoline on the person and burned them to death. Folks, the lunacy that goes on, and people will start to parrot anything that they're told if it sounds fashionable. They want to be part of the in crowd. You know, what, what's the latest style in clothing this year? What's the music that we're supposed to listen to? People have to go and figure out what the critics say about a movie. They can't even figure out what movie to watch without seeing what a critic had to say about the film. We are a nation of sheep, a nation of lemmings, and we will follow anybody and everybody off the cliff if they package it properly. Think about the idiots who went and spent good money on the pet rock. Uh, If you can sell people a rock in a box, abandon all hope. And that's what America has become, a nation of pet rock owners. Uh, Remarkable. Then a year later, if you remember, they made even more money selling a training manual for the pet rock. So you've got the Democrats saying, let's do away with ICE. The Republicans, some of them, are probably saying, well, if only we could. Not all of them, but enough. The people that wanted amnesty, they're on the side of eliminate ICE. Because if you have an amnesty and you don't have the capacity to interview these people, let alone do a field investigation, what do you think the outcome is going to be? Let's put this in perspective. We lost more people on 9-11 to 19 terrorists barely out of their teens than we lost to the entire Japanese fleet at Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941. How many times do our officials have to get it wrong for a major mass casualty disaster in America? Just two terrorists, two pieces of garbage carried out San Bernardino. Two brothers, two pieces of crap carried out the Boston bombing. And they were admitted into the United States legally. In fact, one was a naturalized citizen. One of ICE's responsibilities is to investigate immigration fraud. And yet the Democrats want to do away with it. I guess they like liars who get immigration benefits, but why not? Uh, I'm sure there's plenty of voting irregularities to be had. And as long as those people that get citizenship promise to vote for them, I'm going to guess they're happy. But the Republicans are no better. Because they wanted cheap labor, they want the campaign contributions from various corporations and special interest groups, and that's why you saw bipartisan support for comprehensive immigration reform. And 11 years ago, I did a bunch of hearings in the House and Senate about it, and I wrote a piece for the Washington Times where I came to call that piece of legislative detritus the Terrorist Assistance and Facilitation Act. Then Senator Jeff Sessions liked it so much, he quoted me from the floor of the Senate, because he understood how dangerous this is. Do the Democrats? I don't know. I really don't know. Did Chuck Schumer and the other seven gangsters of the Gang of Eight have a clue about this? I really don't know. But it was Schumer's contribution to the Reagan disastrous amnesty, the agricultural provisions, that gave lawful status to Mahmoud Abu Alima, the ringleader of the bombing of the Trade Center in 93. Do you think Chuck learned his lesson? Of course not, because he's a politician. And what matters to him more than anything in the world is winning the political game, even if it comes at a high price. How many people in Congress, how many people in city halls, how many people at state capitals, governors and city mayors and so forth, really care about these issues? Because if they did, they would stop the nonsense. They would stop the nonsense. Let me read another thing to you, because when you hear this thing about abolishing ICE, and now, of course, the Democrats are backing away, They realize it went too far, but now Fox News is saying, well, there's a poll being done and Americans are divided. What do we do with ICE? Should we reform it? I I stand on the side of reforming ICE. Hire more agents. Get customs out of the mix. Create the Bureau of Immigration Enforcement. There's nothing unfair about it. What's unfair is that we spend $14 billion a year on customs and border protection to devise a legal immigration system. That's a failure, by the way. Nearly half of all illegal aliens in the United States didn't run the border but came through ports of entry and then violated the terms of their admission. Obviously, the $14 billion isn't paying for a very good system at ports of entry, is it? But that's what they want. I was an inspector for four years, and most of my bosses were far more concerned with how long it took me to inspect an arriving alien than whether or not people that we admitted went missing. If we were serious, the bigger concern would have been how many people did you admit that went missing 
not why did it take you a minute and 18 seconds, Mr. Cutler, when it's only supposed to take a minute. I actually had a supervisor tell me something to that effect back in the 70s because I had a boss that would stand behind you with a stopwatch. I kid you not. And you would be inspecting the passenger, and he'd be there going click, 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 and then he'd come up to you and say, Mike, what are you doing? You sent 10 people to secondary for a more detailed investigation so that they could have their baggage searched. Limit the guy to three weeks, because back then, you know, you can give them up to six months. Limit him to three weeks. After three weeks, he wants three minutes on the other side of the doors. He's wearing his sneakers. They didn't care. Keep the lines moving. Keep the lines moving. Don't you dare slow it down. Well, if the easiest way to dispose of an arriving alien is to admit that alien into the United States, then you wind up where nearly half of all illegal aliens don't run the border but come through ports of entry and violate the terms of their admission. It's all a game. It's all a charade. It's a magic act to create illusions. So let me, let me read this to you so you understand why this is insane. Besides the fact you have people taking jobs Americans need and then they're sending hundreds of billions of dollars in remittances out of the country by, by, when they work here, this is what the 9-11 Commission staff report had to say. Although there is evidence that some land and sea border entries of terrorists without inspection occurred. They ran the border. By the way, they didn't run, they didn't enter undocumented. That's Orwellian out of Newspeak and the Ministry of Truth. They entered without inspection occurred. These conspirators mainly subverted the legal entry system by entering at airports. In doing so, they relied on a wide variety of fraudulent documents, on aliases, and on government corruption because terrorist operations were not suicide missions in the early to mid-1990s. Once in the United States, terrorists and their supporters tried to get legal immigration status that would permit them remain here primarily by committing serial or repeated immigration fraud, by claiming political asylum. What are we finding on the southern border now, folks? Or by marrying Americans. Many of these tactics would remain largely unchanged and undetected throughout the 1990s and up to the 9-11 attack. And now here comes the sentence that I want you to really, really, really listen to carefully. Think about this sentence the next time you see Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer or any of the other Democrats, all the usual suspects, saying we've got to get rid of ICE. We've got to get rid of ICE. We've got to get rid of ICE. Well, here's my answer to that lie, to that I don't even know what, how to call this. I mean, this is such an outrage. I'm sputtering just thinking about it. Listen to this, please. Not my words. This is the staff of the 9-11 Commission. These were federal agents, FBI, ATF, immigration agents, and the attorneys who worked for the 9-11 Commission. The commission was convened to make sure it would not happen again. That was the point to the exercise. Now listen to these words. Thus, abuse of the immigration system and a lack of interior immigration enforcement were unwittingly working together to support terrorist activity. I'm going to read that again, and I want you to see those words in your head the next time some piece of trash politician stands there and says, let's do away with immigration law enforcement. We shouldn't be deporting people. We need to find ways to make them work. If you do that, you will fire almost every American and every lawful immigrant and make a mockery of all of our laws and all of our borders. And yet they had a guy on Fox News on Cavuto just two days ago, immigration lawyer, what else? Or should I call him immigration liar? I like that better, immigration liar. Oh, we shouldn't be deporting these people. They're coming to work. Find a way to put them to work. Yes, Find a way to displace more Americans and drive down more wages and put more American families on welfare and have them lose their houses to foreclosure. That's what we need to do, folks. That's how you become successful. I'm going to read it again. When you hear the lies, I want you to immediately think of this sentence. Thus, abuse of the immigration system and a lack of of interior immigration enforcement were unwittingly working together to support terrorist activity. Unwitting then, 
certainly not unwitting now did they read the 9-11 Commission report. Maybe it needs to be required reading. When I was an agent and there was a change in law or a change in procedures or a court order came out that affected the way we did the job, they didn't just hand me a piece of paper and say, here you go, Mike, have a nice day. You signed for it. And the reason you signed for it is if you went out and did something contrary to that change, you were accountable. You could have lost your job. You could have been criminally prosecuted. If they stopped a particular procedure and you did it anyway, you signed that notice. They had you by the short hairs, and they would never let go, I promise you, nor should they. Maybe, just maybe, we ought to have every goddamn member of Congress sign for the 9-11 Commission report and then be held criminally responsible if they violate its provisions. How's that for an interesting thought? The statements they make are reckless. They're treasonous. There's no other way of saying it. It may sound extreme to you, but I lived through 9-11. And I will go to the grave truly believing it would have been preventable if the Clinton administration had learned the lessons that we should have learned from the 93 attacks, because that's the reason I was before Congress in 97. Do away with interior enforcement, and the 9-11 Commission report says, that it was a lack of interior immigration enforcement that were unwittingly working together to support terrorist activity. How in the world do you reconcile the madness of that statement that we need to stop enforcing immigration laws? Gosh, it takes my breath away. It leaves me stupefied. I am clueless as to how any rational person, let alone a government official, can take that outrageous position. I want to address something else this evening, and this is important. Oh, I'm so worked up. i got to tell you, uh, my motor is really running, because every time I think of what they're calling for, and the Republicans that won't hire more ICE agents and run up interference against the president every time he wants to secure our borders and protect us. Um, as an agent, if I used excessive force or did other things, I could have been not only fired but prosecuted. Why in the world are politicians above the law? Why do we allow this madness? People are paying a price, folks. People are paying a price. Gang members have infiltrated communities. The people that they kill generally are the members of the ethnic immigrant communities, and not just MS-13, and not just from Latin America the Russian mob, Asian organized crime, the Jamaican drug posses, the Israeli mob, the Italian mob. We go right down the list. And that's because human nature is human nature is human nature. Every group, every religion, every ethnicity, every culture has the good, the bad, and the ugly. This is not a statement of xenophobia or racism. It's a statement of reality. And all we're trying to do is protect ourselves and our children and their children from the madness of crime and terrorism. And we want to make certain that Americans will never compete with foreign workers for jobs. Because if we do, this becomes a race to the bottom. That's how you turn America into a third world country, which seems to be the goal for the members of Congress who look at the oligarchy of Mexico with envy because they wish and they're doing what they can to turn America into an oligarchy because they smell money at any cost. They smell money. But we've heard so much about the children. Those children were brought here illegally. Their parents and or the smugglers put them in that situation. The government did not. I'm not a spokesperson for Donald Trump, and I wish that he would use language that was far more nuanced. My degree was in communications, arts, and sciences. Uh, I sometimes like to say that I've got a BA and BS, and my goodness gracious, sometimes the words that comes out of Donald Trump's mouth uh, upsets me because there's much better ways of saying what he wants to say. But I'm not Donald Trump, and I'm not his advisor. Would that I was. But understand, he did not put those children at risk. The people who brought them here did. And now the problem is whether or not the people claiming them are truly the parents, or perhaps they're just smugglers. The policy of not putting people in jail when they come with children encourages people to see in children a get-out-of-jail card. And we, you know, get all dewy-eyed, uh, when we see children around the world, children are exploited. Child labor, child prostitution, it runs rampantly throughout the world. 
the world's not a pretty place sometimes. So don't try to always impose your value system on the rest of the world because you're going to come up short. That was one of my first lessons as an immigration agent. Some people see things far differently from the way we do. And I promise you that there are people who would just as easily kidnap and kill a child after the child served its purpose, getting that person into the country, as they would go out and order a hamburger. There are some truly violent individuals out there who do not care about human life. We would probably show more respect to an anthill than they would show to children. So the concern is that if we aren't certain that the people taking custody of these children really aren't the parents, that those children would be put in immediate danger, and that's not acceptable. And let's remember how they got into that situation in the first place. We didn't bring them here. They were brought here illegally, probably with their parents or complicity of their parents, but who knows? Some of those kids may have been kidnapped, and we don't know that either. It's incumbent on our government to look out for those children, and the best way to do it is to do um, stringent testing, DNA and so forth, to make certain that we don't put those kids into harm's way by releasing them to the wrong people. But what I find remarkable, this is what I want you to think about, is how prevalent the use of foster care in America is. The number of children on the Mexican border, relatively speaking, are a few thousand. A few thousand. By the way, we saw the same lunacy when the president implemented what came to be called the travel ban. And again, Trump, using the words of his opponents, made me nuts. It was an entry restriction. And it wasn't that he issued the restriction in a vacuum by making up some executive order the way that DACA was created um, by, you know, by a, an executive caveat by um, Napolitano and, uh, and, and President Obama. There's a section of law that gives the president the authority to limit the entry of aliens into the United States or restrict the entry or bar the entry of aliens. Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182, small f as in Frank. Look it up. The president has that total discretionary authority. In theory, tomorrow morning, the president has the right, by issuing a proclamation, which was really what the executive order was, to say, we're not letting any aliens into the United States for the next 90 days. I don't care if they have green cards. I don't care where they come from. I'm not letting them in. And the only test is that it would be against the interests of the United States. It's a very low bar. You wouldn't know it. So when the president said the people that are coming from those six or seven countries with the first version of that proclamation, there were riots at airports. He turned away a couple of hundred people. or We turned away the inspectors of ports of entry. Uh, acting in response to the president's lawful order. I don't care what the courts say. My judgment on this is that the courts got it wrong. Maybe that sounds imperious on my point, but I, I truly believe that. So I, I believe that the courts really and truly got it wrong. And, and so um, there were a couple of hundred people turned away, and immediately everyone went nuts, and they said, oh, my God, those people had visas, and they weren't allowed to enter the United States. Well, in point of fact, every day hundreds if not thousands of aliens with visas are denied entry at ports of entry because the inspector at the port of entry makes a determination that the alien is inadmissible for one reason or another, again, based on Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182. That's the job of the inspector. They're not rubber stamps. They're there to make certain that the alien is to be admitted. The State Department issues the visa, but they don't have the authority to admit aliens into the United States. Only the inspectors have that authority. So a big, you know, brouhaha broke out over this. It was artificial. It was created. It was staged. It's the usual nonsense by the globalists to start all this, motion, all this emotional appeal when in reality it wasn't a big deal at all every year. Hundreds of thousands of aliens aren't let into the country because they're found to be inadmissible. So, again, it's the way it's presented. So now we're hearing about the children, and we need to get them psychologists, and they've been traumatized. Yes, they were traumatized by the parents who brought them here illegally or turned them over to smugglers who treated them like crap. But why doesn't anyone care about American children living in foster care? So I went to a website. You may find this interesting. And the website is under Children's Rights, Protecting Kids, Providing Hope. Listen to this. 
On any given day, there are nearly 438,000 children in foster care in the United States. On any given day, 438,000. In 2016, over 687,000 children spent time in U.S. foster care. On average, children remain in state care for nearly two years. Here the concern was 40 days, two years. And 6% of children in foster care have languished there for five or more years. Despite the common perception that the majority of children in foster care are very young, the average age of kids entering care is seven. In 2016, more than half of children entering U.S. foster care were young people of color. American minorities. Where are the churches and all these civic organizations racing to help roughly a half million American kids in foster care? What happened? A half million? 500,000 between those numbers, ballpark figure. No one says a word. Did it make headlines? Did you even know about it before I told you? No! Because no one gives a rat's tail. The only reason they care about the kids on the border has nothing to do with the kids. It's to get people angry that we have an immigration system and that we enforce our immigration laws. That's what the outrage for them is. Not the children. The children are a tool. If they cared about children separated from parents, why the hell aren't they worried about those 438,000 kids who are currently in foster care today. Not a word. Not a word. Americans are disposable, expendable. It's the foreign nationals we need because they are the ones that will work for cheap labor. They are the ones that will run to the immigration lawyers. They are the ones that will move money out of the economy and fill the coffers of banks and money wire services. My God, the people feeding at the trough, that line goes around the country, except for the American people who are losing their jobs, their wages, and their lives. Final thought for you folks. There was a story today about how a city in uh, New Jersey has signed a contract to continue to hold aliens in custody um, for ICE. Now, first, CBS said that they were holding immigrants and I guess they realized afterwards, well, that's a bit much. So the next broadcast, they called them immigration detainees, which is more accurate. But it started again with that mythological, oh, we're holding the immigrants. Yeah, sure. But what's remarkable was the mayor of the town was furious. He said that to take money from ICE is blood money because ICE operates outside the Constitution. That's what we keep hearing. Unconstitutional, unconstitutional. I want him to show me the section. But let me show you a section of the U.S. Constitution. Article 4, Section 4. The United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a Republican form of government and shall protect each of them against invasion and on application of the legislature or of the executive when the legislature cannot be convened against domestic violence. Invasion, by the way, is defined as an incursion by a large number of people into a place or sphere of activity, an unwelcome intrusion into another's domain. Millions of foreign nationals in our country in violation of law, I would suggest that that constitutes an invasion. Anyway, I hope this program um, gave you something to think about. If you find my program and my articles to be interesting and worthwhile, please let your friends and neighbors know about it. Please get involved, folks. Um, you know, we can't do this alone. We've got elections coming, and we've got to make intelligent, informed decisions. Please remember that democracy is not a spectator sport. Again, I thank you for joining me. Hope to see you again, or at least speak with you again next week at the same time, right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. But meanwhile, folks, I wish all of you a wonderful weekend. Hope things go well and safely for you. And uh, as I say, get involved. Get involved. Exercise your First Amendment. Very important. See you next week.